This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I'm really excited today to be joined by special guests. Second time back here on, on the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast, and that is Mr. Joe Dolan of Fantasy Points. Joe, how are you doing, my friend? Oh, I'm doing very well, Paul. It's good to be with you. Um, uh, I, we talked a year ago, and obviously things were just a mess at that point. Um, things are always a mess with me, but they're much less of a mess surrounding us. So that's that. That's good news. It's I'm glad to be back. Uh, we've all we've both had some life updates, you know, things like that, big life events. Uh, I moved since. Uh, since uh, we last talked, and you you've added to your to your clan, so I'm uh, I'm happy for you. But I'm glad to, that there's always a constant for us, and that's football. Absolutely, and yeah, last year there was so much uncertainty. Were we even going to get to a football season? If so, what was it going to look like? But luckily, we made it through it. It was a welcome distraction amongst the craziness that was going on in our society in our world. And this year, we know we're on the trajectory of having an NFL year. So really excited to. Talk some rookies with you, some really interesting guys. So let's just dig right in. I want to go right to the quarterback position, and I want to – quick thoughts. First off, for dynasty purposes, do you see a big discrepancy between Trevor Lawrence and the other – top rookies, whether it's Trey Lance, Justin Fields. I mean, some people, you know, maybe put Zach Wilson up in that. I'm a little bit further back in terms of fantasy because the lack of running, you know, he's going to move around, but not at the level of of some of those other guys. Where do you kind of see it in the dynasty landscape for Lawrence compared to those other quarterbacks? Close or a clear distinction? I I think that's a really good question because I'm going to hedge and I'm going to say kind of both. Like, I, I think right now, Lawrence is clearly the guy. I mean, just because of his his ability to run and the fact that he's being handed the keys of the franchise right away. Um, but and and I think there are questions about Fields and and Trey Lance. Now, Trey Lance, I mean, the questions are obvious. He's coming from North Dakota State. Um, he's played one year of college football. We don't know when he's going to start for San Francisco. That being said, he was the third pick. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch identified this guy as the guy they wanted to trade up for. So uh, that piques my interest. When it comes to Justin Fields, I'm trying to balance the fact that I think he's going to start early and often for, for the Chicago Bears. Like, I I I think Chicago, they're, they're saying all the things about Andy Dalton right now. I think... Justin Fields gets on the field in the first half of the season, if not earlier than that. But there is that nagging kind of, uh, in the back of my head, all these teams passed on him. Now, that doesn't mean that those teams are right, okay? Like, we've seen it in the past. Like, Lamar Jackson should not have been the 32nd pick in the NFL draft. You know, like, it, it, it just shouldn't have happened that way. It doesn't mean those teams are right. But you do have to consider that quarterback needy teams, including the three who took quarterbacks before Justin Fields, and some quarterback needy teams like you might argue Atlanta, uh, Detroit, Denver, 
did not take this. Maybe Philadelphia, you know, Philadelphia traded up to number 10 to take Devontae Smith. But there were some some people thinking it when they made that trade that, hey, what if it is for Justin Fields? It's not like Jalen Hurts uh, uh, decorated himself in glory last year. So you look at all these quarterback needy teams that passed on Justin Fields, and you just have that kind of nagging in the back of your head that, Maybe there is something we just don't know. Now, maybe the NFL teams are stupid. We've seen that pan out in the past. But Justin Fields has been a really interesting guy for me to get a get a hold of because, I mean, if you, frankly, if you were to tell me Justin Fields starts week one, I'd rank him ahead of Trevor Lawrence for, for this season, even though I would still rank him behind Lawrence for Dynasty. He's just a really interesting guy to, t- try, to, get, to try to get my head around because there are these conflicting kind of thoughts. Like, I mean, this isn't like... This isn't a, a draft where quarterbacks were artificially pushed up the board. They went one, two, and three. You know, this was a talented quarterback class, and I'm trying having a little bit of trouble reconciling why Justin Fields was the fourth of those quarterbacks off the board. Yeah, I mean, I know personally, I had him as my number two. I know a lot, of and a lot of people did it. Yeah, so a lot of people in the draft and Devi Twitter community did have him and liked him that. But the NFL obviously sorted things a little bit different. But as you mentioned, the NFL does sometimes make mistakes, right? Letting Patrick Mahomes fall where he did, letting Deshaun Watson fall where he did, letting Lamar Jackson really fall you know, to where he did. So there are there are instances. But sometimes the NFL is also right, of course. You know, Josh like Rosen, because, Dwayne Haskins. Well, you know, well, I mean, they were still first round picks, but like, I think I think the NFL was. Um, much lower on them than 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 the Twitterati was was on him, but also I looked to somebody like Josh Allen, who I mean, when when Josh Allen was coming out of Wyoming, like you would have thought, if you if you read only Twitter, that this guy was the single worst prospect in the history of the world, <laughs> and you know, I mean, people laughed at the Bills when they took Josh Allen at seven overall, and you know, not to say it wasn't rocky from the start. It was, but they obviously knew the player on such a level that he was, and I don't think there's anybody, even Josh Allen's biggest critics, who would argue against his work ethic right now. Like, there's very clearly that drive to be better. So, you know, NFL teams were mocked for how they viewed Josh Allen, and now the guy's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, but, but, but again, you know, the quarterback position is uncertain. If you were to redo the 2018 NFL draft, the top two picks would be would be, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson in some order, uh, you know, and those were those two guys were drafted third and fifth of those 2018 quarterbacks. Um, Sam Darnold was the third pick. So, you know, the NFL does get it wrong, but I think you draft capital does have a large correlation to dynasty value. And I do think, you, look, Justin Fields was the 11th pick in the draft. It's not like he was a fourth round pick, but there is that correlation that I think I, I, I've been trying to get my head around. Yeah, for sure. And it's a very interesting thing. It's going to be interesting how quickly they get on the field. Him, Lance, for sure. I, If I remember correctly, I remember when you were on last year that you were intrigued by Joe Burrow in redraft, best ball leagues. I, I don't remember. I think it was as a quarterback, too, you might have been okay with. Oh, yeah. In, in, ter- in terms of this, is, is that kind of where Trevor Lawrence is this year? And are the other guys more QB threes with the uncertainty or because their ceilings are so high if you really are comfortable with your first guy in like a best ball setting, you may roll the dice on a Justin Fields or Trey Lance as your number two. If maybe your starter is, is top of the line, has a bye late in the year, and you expect these guys to take over. 
you know, uh, Lawrence is going as like an early QB, uh, uh, as an early QB two, and I think that's fair. You base it, you base it on the fact that he can run. Um, their defense is probably not going to be very good. I, I'm, I'm looking at uh, over the last three weeks NFFC data um, and best ball tens QB fourteen for Trevor Lawrence. That that's probably where he's going. I think Justin Fields is much more of a QB two than Trey Lance is. Um, and the reason is I just think there's a better shot for Justin Fields to play earlier. Uh, you know, I look, I, Andy Dalton has been a solid NFL quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo has a lot of questions, just not, you know, is he is he good enough? And that's why they drafted Trey Lance. But Jimmy Garoppolo is a better player than than Andy Dalton. Let's let let's and Justin Fields has more experience than Trey Lance. So I think Fields has the shot to play early. Now, what if Lance comes in? And blows away the 49ers the way that Carson Wentz blew away the Eagles when he was there as a rookie. Now, we know what happened since then, but Wentz started off extremely promising. And remember, Carson Wentz, for the first preseason game for the Eagles, Paul, was the Eagles' third-string quarterback. And then they traded Sam Bradford and then moved Carson Wentz ahead of Chase Daniel. So could Trey Lance, and from things I've heard from people I respect around the league, this kid in the meeting room, in the quarterback room, is is a savant. Like, Trey Lance is super smart. Could he blow them away in training camp the way Wentz did, the way um, Russell Wilson did in Seattle? Now, you'll hear the stories about Russell Wilson. Uh, I talked about this with Adam Kaplan on SiriusXM this week. The, the, the Seahawks loved Russell Wilson. They drafted him in the third round, but they had no intention of going into the season with Russell Wilson as their starting quarterback when he was a rookie. Um, that they, the full the full plan was for Matt Flynn. It's just like in training camp, they kept trying to like ignore it, and then the coaches sat down like before the preseason, and they're like, "I don't know, we we can't hold this kid back." Could Trey Lance do that? I think so. He's a big unknown, but he's got that talent and. You know, if Trey Lance were to be named the week one starter in San Francisco, which I, I don't think has, I don't think there's minus odds on that. But if it does happen, look at what he's got. He's got a great offensive line. He's got an outstanding receiving core, young. You know, if Debo Samuel can stay healthy, if George Kittle can stay healthy. Brandon Ayuk had a great year. You've got that solid running game with Trey Sermon. I mean, I would rank Trey Lance first among all these rookie quarterbacks in 2021 alone if he were to be named the week one starter. That's how high I am on that supporting cast. So it's a really interesting group where I think Justin Fields and Trey Lance are getting drafted kind of as QB2s. Lance more so as a three, but because of that just ridiculous upside, there it's harder and harder to hit on late round quarterbacks now because everybody's figured out the cheat code. Everybody's figured out that quarterbacks who can run should be going earlier in drafts. That's why there's no discount whatsoever on Jalen Hurts, and it's justified. So the guys you have to look for who might do that are the guys like Fields and Lance who aren't guaranteed to start right away. You know, I, I just did a best ball draft where – Justin Fields is my second and only backup quarterback to Jalen Hurts. You know, it like it's not ideal. I, he's not guaranteed to start the entire year, but at some point he's going to see the field, and then that's when that upside is going to become tangible. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you on, on the upside of Trey Lance, and it's going to be a really interesting dilemma for, I think, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers organization as a whole because they may look at it as the sooner we make the switch – 
the more we kind of work out the kinks, we get this guy some experience that could we potentially make a little bit of a run at the end of the year if he's kind of starting to work through those growing pains a little bit. So it's interesting. Or do you kind of wait it out and then at some point maybe further in the season and then you're kind of putting yourself like, okay, then you're going to work through those growing pains maybe the second half of the year or down the home stretch of the year. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of see when Shanahan pulls the trigger and does Lance have a legitimate shot to kind of do what you were talking about, which is like what Carson Wentz did, just wow them to the point where they make the move much earlier. It's going to be fascinating to follow that year round and they're not going to know until they get the get to look at him every day in training camp like i'm sure they already have some opinions but until you get to see him every day how he's picking things up how he's responding they're not going to get to know that and i think fortunately they have the benefit of a more normal off season and that's going to help some of these rookies for sure so so let's let's take this over to the running back position and and two two questions that i really want to hit on one i think we all agreed that in dynasty setting, Najee Harris right now seems to be the clear of the rookies in a redraft setting where, where or how high are you comfortable ranking him for this year with the workload? We pretty safe. I think we can assume he's going to get that type of workload, maybe behind a, a poor offensive line and a really aging quarterback. So that's my one question. Najee Harris redraft. Where do you see him? And then two from the dynasty perspective, the next two guys, Javante Williams and Travis Etienne, I don't think pre-draft most people thought that was going to be a real conversation of who was ranked higher. I think the majority, at least the consensus, I think was going to push toward Travis Etienne. But Etienne ends up in Jacksonville. Urban Meyer is saying all weird things. Yeah. And then Javante Williams ends up, yeah, in Denver. They have Melvin Gordon, who's been MIA you know, most of this offseason. We don't know. I don't think he's there for the longing. So thoughts on Williams versus Etienne dynasty, who you prefer, and, and how close is it? Oh. And then Najee Harris in redraft, how high? Yeah, so let's start with Najee Harris. Um, I, I think he's – at one point this offseason, I really thought that there was going to be a, uh, a a kind of a late move for Najee Harris that was going to push him into the first round. Um, but I think people now are just totally shook and and fairly so by the 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 Steelers offensive line. And and I think that's totally fair opinion to have. Um, I think it's uh, and the David DeCastro news is is even more disturbing. Now, the Steelers very clearly weren't counting on David DeCastro. They had to know that this was coming, the fact that he might end up retiring. So I think Najee Harris is going to be locked in as a, as a second round pick. Um, and I'm willing to take him there. And I understand that. Like, I am willing to say with Najee Harris that I believe volume is going to be king. I don't think the Steelers who... You know, I'm going to say they're a smart organization. They've had one losing season in like the past 15 years. Okay. Many people would argue if you take, if you take a running back in the first round, you can't be a smart organization and y'all deserve to be arrested and jailed and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. But I think what the Steelers drafting Najee Harris does is that tells them we need to play differently. We cannot have Ben dropping back 45 times a game, especially behind this offensive line. So what what Najee Harris might lack in efficiency, I think he can make up for in volume. And, you know, I don't think this is an Edwards-Alaire situation. Edwards-Alaire had a lot of landmines that we were choosing to sidestep or try to avoid, even though we acknowledged them. We were, we were saying we're going to uh, we're gonna try to avoid the, these landmines because we love the offense he's playing in. 
it was a mediocre campaign for, for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and that's why he's a third-round pick this year. But for Najee Harris, I don't think the landmines in terms of personnel and usage are there. I think you can make an argument that the efficiency, maybe he averages 3.8 yards per carry because the offensive line isn't very good, but I still think he can catch the ball. I think he's going to be a three-down back for Pittsburgh. So I think he's a second-round pick, and for very clearly, I think he is the top dynasty running back in this uh, it, 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 uh, of this group. ETN and Williams, I have back-to-back. And I have ETN slightly higher only because I think he's a better receiver than Javante Williams. You know, uh, not to say Javante Williams can't become a good receiver, but ETN has that proven ability. And with the way Jacksonville is saying it's going to use him, I'm a little skeptical. You know, we're flying blind here. Urban Myers never coached it down in the NFL um, at, at, from any position. Um, I... I'm a little skeptical that these plans for ETN, oh, he's going to be Percy Harvin, are going to bear out. But even if he is Percy Harvin, keep in mind that in PPR, a target is worth 2.7 times as much as a carry for running backs. A target, not a reception. A target is worth 2.7 times as much as a carry. So if they're going to use him as a receiver and he's going to be in a role where he's going to catch 50, 55 passes, I think Travis Etienne can contribute right away for fantasy. I just think people are having a tough time reconciling those comments, and I totally agree with that. Javante Williams, uh, Paul, I I don't know how much he's going to do as a receiver because Melvin Gordon is really good in that department. I think Javante Williams takes this job like like uh, midway through the season at latest. And the one thing that I've been focusing on when it comes to rookies and redraft this year, just from a redraft perspective, keep in mind, They've got one extra game to contribute. And that might not sound like a lot right now, but rookies now have one extra game to win a job. They've got one extra game to contribute. Look at look at how Jonathan Taylor and Cam Akers performed down the stretch last year. Now, those guys, they were struggling to get acclimated early in the year. They look like busts of draft picks. But both of those guys won people fantasy leagues. And imagine if there were one more game in the fantasy season last year the way there were this year. Their window for relevance would have been extended. That's how I view Javante Williams. I think he is going to take that job very shortly. I don't know what's going on with Gordon. Is he going to be disciplined for the DUI despite the charges being dropped? I don't know. If he is, Javante Williams starts week one. And what if he runs for 95 yards and a touchdown? You know, like, Javante Williams is going to take that job sooner rather than later. That's why I like Williams just a little bit more as a best ball pick because I just – I think he's going to be the guy who's going to take that job down the stretch. And, you know, from a dynasty perspective, I have Williams and ETN ranked back-to-back. I have ETN slightly higher. They're both in my top 20 dynasty running backs. But I have ETN slightly higher only because of that receiving ability. But, man, Javante Williams in particular intrigues me for redraft for all the reasons that I just laid out. Yeah, I think you're right there, spot on in terms of – how quickly he's going to get the job and, you know, the uncertainty with Urban Meyer and Jacksonville. So, yeah, I think prior to the draft, I think most people would have thought in rookie drafts or dynasty rankings, they would have been a little bit more separation potentially between Ethan and Javante Williams. And I think now most people have them very close together, if not back to back, like you were talking about. I'm going to skip over the next two running backs, the the ones that I think most people in some order have Trey Sermon and Michael Carter. We know opportunity awaits Michael Carter. He has a fourth round pick. I think that's a little concerning long term in Dynasty. Trey Sermon, you know, kind of handpicked by Kyle Shanahan. It's very intriguing. They have a lot of running backs who are in the stable there. So how quickly he emerges. But I feel like you've always 
through the years of listening to you, always kind of have your pulse on Philadelphia and the ego's pretty good. What do you make of Kenneth Gainwell? He went yeah. at least one, if not two rounds later than I think most draft procrastinators, you know, prognosticators thought he was going to go. And then Miles Sanders kind of had a ho-hum year. And now they have a new guy coming in there from Indianapolis, Nick Serini, who really liked to utilize Naheem Hines in a lot of ways. Is Gainwell a guy that down the line could have some sneaky PPR value oh, in a yeah. dynasty league? And how much do you think the Eagles really – do you think the Eagles might have had a higher grade on him and they just ended up getting him there and they have plans for him? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the Eagles what, – what probably happened is the Eagles, who obviously had drafted poorly – for a number of years might have had Gainwell a, a round or two higher on their boards. And we're just like, we just can't justify it. You know, we got Miles Sanders. Um, they had Boston Scott, uh, even after the draft, they brought in carry on Johnson. So now all of a sudden you've got a pretty deep group of running backs. And I just wonder in the fifth round, they were just like, look, I know this isn't really a position of need, but this is a really interesting player who we can use in interesting ways um, and it's always smart to keep drafting running backs even late because, you know, the shelf life of the position. Um, I, I think there were a lot of people who were disappointed, especially some Debbie players who were super disappointed by Gainwell's landing spot. Because, I mean, when you look at the tape, you're, you're looking at a guy who I was expecting to come off the board in day two, quite frankly. I thought he was going to be a third round pick. I know there was just a year in Memphis, but um Right now, I have him outside my top 50 dynasty running backs because we know how gifted Miles Sanders is. And even in a ho-hum year, Miles Sanders was kind of unlocked when Jalen Hurts was the quarterback. And I think that run game is going to be important for Philly this year, obviously, as it always is when you have a quarterback who's mobile. Um, Gainwell, I did draft in a startup dynasty, though, and I got him pretty late. And, you know, you just never know with, with guys like this, these guys who can catch passes, sometimes they end up just like never really panning out. And and um, I mean, they play, but they're not really fantasy contributors. Other times they end up like Naeem Hines or James White, where they don't need to carry the football in order to be fantasy contributors. So, you know, Kenny Gainwell, he's probably for me like a late last round or two kind of best ball pick. I think he's going a little bit earlier than that. I'm not sure he's the handcuff for Miles Sanders in the traditional sense, but I kind of like him now at a depressed value in Dynasty because especially if you're in PPR, this is a guy who can catch the football, and we know Sirianni is a coach who has experience using a back just like this. It's easy to draw that parallel. So, you know, for the Eagles, I thought it was a great pick where they where they got him. I just know it was a headache for fantasy, and, and that's tough to reconcile. Yeah, for sure. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see what their plans for him are and how quickly, you know, he emerges. Does he take a role as that guy? Obviously, in in the NFL, if you're going to be on the field as a third down pass catching back, you also got to be able to pass protect. And that's an issue for a lot of young rookies coming into the league, you know, and that's something that, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see what Gainwell and how much of an opportunity he gets. But in space, he's an electric player. And, you know, maybe not blazing, blazing, you know, long speed, but change of direction, agility, uh, the ability to make people miss. He's an interesting player. So yeah, Long speed I, is so overrated for running backs. I mean, for sure. it's so overrated. I, I mean, I, I point to this, and Melvin Gordon's carved out a nice career for himself in the NFL. But, I mean, I don't know if anybody would say, oh, man, you know, that was a great pick. And because the when Melvin Gordon was at Wisconsin, they were opening up holes the size of Mack trucks. And, you know, his long speed was able to get him away from that. But, man, who's the – how many running backs in the past 15 years have consistently made a threat with their long speed? I'm, I'm thinking really of two. And they're both Titans, Derrick Henry and Chris, Chris Johnson. 
Like th- those, those are the two guys who were like, oh my God, they're going to go 90 yards any given week. It's just so overrated for running backs. That's just, I mean, I, I mean, there's it, at one in a hundred guys, long speed matters. Now, you know, I don't want my guy running a five, five, but you know, it, it's just, I remember when Kareem Hunt ran his 40 and it was like in the four, six, eight, something like that. And people were like, oh my God. And then I was just like, I didn't really care because that wasn't how he won at Toledo and it's not how he wins in the NFL. So yeah, that well, that one for me, the long speed just does not, it, that, that argument doesn't stand up to me. I'm not, I know you weren't trying to say that, but yeah, for sure. And, and I think, I think sometimes people only associate long speed with athleticism and, and other stuff. And there's so much that goes into it. And, you know, and game was a guy who I, I, I would use the word an electric player in the open field and has absolutely nothing to do with long speed. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things that I think he's going to be an intriguing player, especially if you get him the ball in space. If we take this to the pass catchers, I want to ask you two real quick tight end questions. Cause obviously sure. we know they don't have a ton of, of, of long term uh, of immediate value. One, Dynasty rankings, not just rookies, tight ends in general. Right now, if you were doing a startup, is Kyle Pitts number one in, in that format? And just how high would you even have him in redraft this year? Yeah. So that's the Kyle one. Pitts question. And yeah. two, is there anybody else from the rookie class that deep that you might stash away in a deep dynasty league? Maybe you heard something through the grapevine of another tight end from this rookie class that intrigues you even a little bit as a guy that maybe just stash away and wait and see. Yes. First and foremost, Kyle Pitts is number one. Um, I am willing to take Kyle Pitts around like the sixth round and redraft. The, my problem with that is uh, everybody else is apparently willing to take him <laughs> higher than that. And I'm, you know, I think it's reasonable to project him to have the greatest rookie season of all time for a tight end. And as as preposterous as that sounds on the surface, only one tight end in history has had a thousand yards in his rookie season, and that was Mike Ditka back in '61. I think it's reasonable in a 17 game season to expect Kyle Pitts to do that with the target volume that he's expecting to get. You know, so I mean, rookie seasons for tight ends have been pretty uh, pretty muted, as as everybody knows. But I mean. The guys who you would be ranking ahead of Pitts are Kittle, Kelsey, and Waller, okay? Kittle's 27, has an extensive injury history. Kelsey's 31, Waller's 28. Now, I don't look more than really three or four years down the line in Dynasty. I think that's futile. And that's how I've I've actually had some success, um, just like with Dynasty. But, I mean, Travis Kelsey, are are you confident in three years he's going to be the tight end one? I'm not. You know, it's just he'd he'd have to be beating the odds. So those are the three guys, and all of them, I think, are with age concerns uh, and injury concerns, I think, are behind Kyle Pitts. Now, from a deeper perspective, three guys who I'm really intrigued by for deeper dynasty stashes are Trey McKitty, who was the Chargers' third-round pick, who didn't do a whole lot in college, but our guy Greg Cosell loved his tape. Tommy Tremble from Carolina, who was a third-round pick, who I think is going to get on the field early because he's an incredible blocker, and I think he's got the athleticism to become a big-time receiver. And the one guy who I'm just super, super uh, – I mean, the guy could do nothing in the NFL. But in terms of athleticism, Jacob Harris, that the Ram, who the Rams took. Now, he was kind of a wide receiver in college, so you have to look at what your site's going to be. Uh, saying, but he's a freak in nature. The Rams did a lot in the late later rounds of this draft, just drafting freaks. 
They drafted Jacob Harris who from UCF. Remember, he was a wide receiver in college. They are listing him as a tight end. So check whatever site you play your dynasty league on for his positional eligibility. I like him much more as a tight end for obvious reasons. Um, and they also drafted Jake Funk, the running back from Maryland, who's a complete freak show as well. So the Rams were, were making an, uh, uh, an insistence on, okay, we don't have a ton of draft picks because of all these trades we've made. We're going to try to get freak athletes later. And I think it's a viable strategy. But those are the three guys outside of, you know, obviously Pitts and Fryermuth, who's not as exciting, but I think he's just going to be a dependable pro. Those are the three guys who I'm really looking to stash in my dynasty leagues. Yeah, and, and all of them are, are really intriguing for obvious reasons, whether it's straight athleticism, underperformed in college, but you could see a path, yeah. you know, and, and obviously no one's saying Tommy Tremble's going to be a, a guy like George Kittle, but we've seen instances where guys are not utilized at the college game and, and made use of their athleticism and their pass catching and then go on to the NFL and, and really shine there. Tommy Tremble is a guy that I think Notre Dame could have used a lot more in the passing game and they just didn't for whatever reason they have another great tight end there as a freshman who's, who's going to be a name we're talking about in a couple of years so th- there could have been a variety of reasons but I, i'm i'm intrigued with both of those guys uh tremble and mckitty and then harris is a real real deep stash if he has that tight end eligibility like you said so i love those names that you just brought up there and let's round out our discussion today with the couple of wide receiver questions real quick yeah. The ceiling on, on, on Jamar Chase, do you look at him and think to yourself, this is maybe the best complete package of a, of a wide receiver coming out with tra- – I know he opted out last year with COVID, but in terms of statistical profile, in terms of now where he goes, like how high is the ceiling on Jamar Chase? Like, Are we thinking about that with his former quarterback, we could be looking at like another – like? historic type year. I don't want to say he's going to be Justin Jefferson. There's other mouths yeah. there or Odell Beckham or Randy Moss. But do we think he's got that type of of upside to his game? And then after that, where do you kind of stand on the Alabama guys in yeah. terms of redraft and dynasty in terms of uh, Jalen Waddell versus Devonta Smith? So um, I think Jamar Chase, immediately top 10 uh, dynasty wide receiver. Um, uh we, we published the, or the draft guide at fantasypoints.com with Greg Cosell's rookie profiles. And, I mean, he said there was no discernible weakness in Jamar Chase's game and, and thought he was far and away the best receiver in the class. Um, I, I have a tough time projecting, like, a super, um, like, Justin Jefferson-level rookie season only because, like you said, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins are really good receivers. So, um, but I, I think Cincinnati is going to – I mean, he's the X right away. And – A.J. Green had over 100 targets last year. Now, based on A.J. Green's production, that might surprise you, but he was, was, by efficiency metrics, the worst receiver in football last year. Jamar Chase, even with those those targets, is going to pay off at a fifth-round ADP, I think. So Jamar Chase is inside, you know, my top uh, 60 overall players easily. With the Alabama guys, I'm more bullish on Smith for fantasy only because I see – more of an immediate need uh, with with Philadelphia. I think he comes in there and he leads that team in targets immediately. Jalen Waddle, I struggle with because I cannot shake the feeling. You know, you can give me as much information as you want. Uh, say Miami, oh, this was the plan. I cannot shake the feeling that they made that trade up to six and were like, there's no way that Cincinnati's passing on an offensive lineman here we're going to get Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase on this football team. 
and then and then Pitts and Chase go four five. And it feels to me like they had to settle. Now, I, that is just my opinion. I don't think that was a trade they needed to make when they made it. And so I wonder if Jalen Waddle was just, well, he's the next guy on our board. And he's explosive. I think he's a better receiver than Henry Ruggs. But um, I, I just struggle in terms of Waddle. Like, I think there's like a three or four round gap between where Smith's going and Waddle's going in, in redraft. And I think that's justified because I, I – I think there's more mouths to feed in Miami. I think Smith fills a more immediate need in Philadelphia. Um, and, and frankly, I think the, the jury's still out on both of these quarterbacks. It's just that Devontae Smith enters a receiving core where his contributions are needed immediately. And I'm not sure Jalen Waddle fits that, fits that profile. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I think it's a very underreported story, what, what the Dolphins did. I loved the trade back with the 49ers. But then as soon as they made the trade with the Eagles, I was questioning it. And I was like, you know, it could be ingenious if they still get one of those guys that you were just talking about. But then when it plays out the way it played out, I mean, they could have I mean, had those two first-round picks. They could have easily just did what the Eagles did if they and needed to. And get Devontae Smith. And they could have got Devontae Smith, and they so. still would have been sitting on two firsts. So people have, people have been have praised them, like, oh, they went back, they came up, they still came away with a guy they wanted, and they got one first. But they could have had two firsts. And yeah, so and- I, I feel like it's just not – people haven't looked at that and criticized it enough where usually in the media people are criticizing everything all the time. Yeah. I feel like they've kind of got a free pass on this. Yeah, and I think that's because people love what people love general managers that get assets, right? Like that's the thing. Oh my god! But like, I think Howie Roseman in Philadelphia has been a justified whipping boy the last couple of years because of how poorly he's drafted. But I mean, I think he took the Dolphins to the cleaners on that trade, and you know, Eagle fans were flipping out on Twitter when they made the deal, and and I think by the same assumption, Paul. Oh my god, we could have gotten Pitts or Chase there, and we just gave that away. I kind of feel like Howie Roseman read the room a little bit better, quite frankly. And, you know, I don't think any Eagle fan prior to the draft would have turned down the opportunity to trade away, to trade away, uh, Jalen Waddle and a third round pick for Devontae Smith and a first round pick. Yeah. I mean, you know, and look, look, clearly the Dolphins viewed Waddle as a better prospect than Devontae Smith, that they took him before Devontae Smith. I think a lot of teams are having trouble reconciling Smith's size. But I mean, just in terms of the action of those trades and what we think currently about Smith and Waddle as prospects, that was an outsized price for the Dolphins to pay for Jalen Waddle. And from a fantasy perspective, he joins a much more stacked group of receivers than Devontae Smith is facing in Philadelphia. So I think Philadelphia ended up with the better fantasy player and the better side of this trade. Remember, Philadelphia now could have three first-round picks next year. If Jalen Hurts does not pan out, those picks are going to turn into a quarterback. But what if he does pan out? Then you have three first round picks to build around a young quarterback. Thought it was a really good trade by Harry Rose. Yeah, it really was. And what if the Eagles had Devonta Smith ahead of Jalen Waddle? Then they got their they guy. Have. They yeah. might have stayed at six and took Devonta Smith anyway. So like, you know, if they anyways. did that on, if they did that, and that's the thing. Just just before we wrap this up, that if they did that, if the Eagles didn't trade number six and they took Devonta Smith at six overall, there is not a person on earth who's knocking that pick. No, zero. They're just like, you know, he's small, but he won the Heisman. He's productive. He's competitive. They needed a receiver. Nobody knocks that pick. They trade back and then get an extra first and still took him. Thought it was a really good trade by Roseman, who has been justifiably criticized. 
Shouldn't be for that trade, though, because I think the process of the trade was excellent. And 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 one final point on the two teams we're talking about here. If the Deshaun Watson situation at any point clears up, we could be talking about these two teams being among the handful that are most intrigued by trading for him and yeah. have the assets to potentially pull it off. Like Both have young quarterbacks that you could at least sell to Houston as take this guy. They are... They have extra first-round picks. The Eagles are in the best situation with potentially, like you said, three first-round picks. So it'll be interesting to see if we ever kind of circle back to this trade. And does this trade and the assets that one team over the other has, is that maybe the difference in maybe a Deshaun Watson trade down the line? It's going to be really fascinating to keep keep tabs on that and see if that comes into play at any point in the future. Yeah, and also, you know, um, the NFL is is becoming more NBA-like. Who else could be available next year? Yeah. What if Seattle? What if Seattle Seattle bombs this year? You know, Russell Wilson has been some gripes and, you know, who knows, you know, and and obviously the Aaron Rodgers situation is still out there and, you know, some major names. And like you said, it's becoming a little bit more NBA-like where I think trades are going to maybe become a little bit more uh, on the norm uh, in the NFL, especially with the big names. So, Joe, thank you so much for hopping on. I know you're a very busy person this time of the year. I greatly appreciate it. Please, I'm sure most of my audience knows what you got going on over there at Fantasy Points, but, you know, maybe let them know if there's anything really new for for year two that you guys got planned that maybe some people are still maybe unaware of. Please feel free to share with my audience. Let them know where they can follow you or anything else you want to share. Yeah, so um, what we're going to do is you're going to follow me on Twitter at FG underscore Dolan, but we're we're making improvements to our staff and our proprietary tools on the website, our Fantasy Points Generator, which is a redraft kind of draft assistant. We have an in-house DFS optimizer that we're making improvements to. We launched both of those in beta last year, and we were taking feedback from the subscribers, uh, what, what needs to be improved. We've added multiple people to our staff. Wes Huber from Pro Football Focus has joined us full-time, um, or Airstorm of pro football focus he has joined us full-time and he's he was nominated for dfs writer of the year along with scott barrett and what i think you get at fantasy points not to put the full sales pitch on is i just think you get so much more for your money than you get uh, elsewhere and i think that's our calling card um compare our prices for what it takes for full access at fantasy points compare that to some of our some of the other sites out there and i think you know you're going to get really good analysis uh, at, at a much more affordable price you're going to get proprietary tools and and i think you're going to enjoy being a part of the community yeah guys and I, I can just speak firsthand i know somebody who as i've gotten more busy in life to dedicate time for redraft leagues and dynasty leagues and especially for dfs you know i rely on some of the great websites that are out there and and fantasy points i tried it out last year it's became now one of my three or so staples that i will every single year be utilizing to help my life easier as my family grows as my focus is more on the college game in terms of film watching that i don't have time besides watching the games on sunday to do the level of research to prepare for an nfl season and especially to prepare for dfs sundays and stuff like that so guys i i strongly urge you to check out fancy points if you haven't uh and and, and get a subscription because it is top level stuff there so on behalf of joe on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us. We look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.